0: This evening we're going to consider the entrance of sin into the world. The entrance of sin into the world, we're looking at Genesis chapter 3. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the Apostle Paul said, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news is that in the fullness of time, the eternal Son of God became flesh and 33 years of perfect obedience to God culminated in him bearing in his own body the sins of all who trusted him. This evening in Genesis 3, we shall see how sin entered the world in the first place. The wages of sin is death. Let's see how that sin entered the world. First of all, we'll see that Eve was tempted. Just have a little look again at verses, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but verses 1 through to 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. As has already been seen in previous weeks, prior to making man in his image on the sixth day of creation, the Lord God made all the other creatures, including the serpent, whom we are introduced to here in chapter 3 and verse 1. That it was a real serpent is clear. For one thing, when you look at verse 14, the serpent was cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Also, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3, the Apostle Paul described it as a serpent when he said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, takes us to Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, doesn't it? So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. But I'll repeat that first bit again. I I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. But also, it was more than just a serpent. A serpent that was able to speak to Eve and to deceive her through his subtlety in matters concerning what the Lord God has said, bears all the hallmarks of the devil, who is referred to as a serpent who deceives In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, where it is written, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. We see there in Revelation, the devil being called a serpent who deceives again that takes us to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. That the devil was at work in the garden of Eden should not surprise you. After all it can be seen in the New Testament that demons are able to possess not just creatures, other uh, creatures such as serpents, but demons are able to possess human beings and make use of their vocal cords. For example, in Mark, chapter 1, verse 23 through to 26, it is written, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, a demon, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? So it's not the man speaking, it's more a case of the demons that had possessed him speaking there, crying out, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked them, sorry, he rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. So, that unclean spirit, he seems to be the spokes, spokesperson, if I can call it that, for all the unclean spirits. And then Jesus simply said to that spirit, hold thy peace and come out of him. Come out of that man. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice he came out of him. Therefore when the serpent paid a visit to Eve she was deceived by none other than the devil. As for the deceiving words that the devil hissed out through that serpent he said, yea have God said ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. The devil simply said God. And I think that's quite interesting because I made a point last time when we looked at chapter 2 of saying that we're introduced to not God, just the the God who created everything, but the Lord God. Where you've got Lord in capital letters meaning Jehovah, Jehovah God. And that speaks of the covenant relationship that he has with people. The Lord. And as Christians, you Christians in here, You call Jesus Lord, don't you? He's your saviour, but he's your Lord as well. And praise God for that. But what do we see here in the Garden of Eden? The serpent comes along, and no more do we see the Lord God. It's just God. Forget the covenant relationship with people. He doesn't want to talk about things like that. Just God. The devil simply said God and not Lord God. Lord God which he is known by and are just as by his people also by saying yea have God said ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden the devil straight away sowed seeds of doubt into Eve's mind concerning what the Lord God had actually said what he had commanded as to what the Lord God really did see, say rather well let's have a look at that now It's in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Or... Dying thou shalt die. In those verses, we can see that the Lord God didn't even speak to Eve. The verses there in chapter 2. Who was it that the Lord God was speaking to? To Adam, to the man. He gave the commandment to the man before Eve had even been formed from one of Adam's ribs. She wasn't even in existence at that point when the commandment was given to the man. As to what the Lord God really did say, we see it there and it's so very different to what the devil uh, was saying in chapter 3. How sneaky of the serpent to come to Eve and not to Adam. Adam. And as can be seen, the devil twisted what the Lord God had actually said to Adam from being able to eat from every tree except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's what the Lord God did say in chapter two. The devil twisted that to being, to God saying that they weren't allowed to eat from any tree. It's quite a spin on it, isn't it? By doing that, he was making the command out to be much more severe than it really was. Eve then jumped in with a response and she also misquoted the Lord God. Although she rightly pointed out that she and Adam were allowed to eat from all trees in the garden, except for that one tree in the middle of the garden, she also said, neither shall ye touch it. You can't find that in chapter 2. There's no mention of that. The Lord God didn't say, you you, you You can't eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. You may think that's a little thing, but the point is, God did not say that. So where did she get that from? The Lord God said, nothing of the sort. Neither did he say, lest ye die. This is, look at, look what Eva said again. Verse 3 in chapter 3. But of the fruit of tree which is in the, of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God have said, ye shall not eat of it. Okay. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. It's that last bit there. Neither shall ye touch it. The Lord God didn't say that and he certainly didn't say, lest ye die. At this point, did Eve simply get it wrong concerning what God had said to Adam and what Adam had in turn said to her or perhaps she was beginning to give voice to dissatisfaction with God's commandment I don't know maybe I should know maybe I'm missing something here I don't know but perhaps you can see already that the devil was sowing seeds of confusion (coughs) and even sowing seeds of rebellion in Eve's mind with all his lies he was playing mind games with her and uh, with his subtlety. And again, he was more subtle than than her. Then in verse 4, the devil said, ye shall not surely die. And that was the complete opposite to what the Lord God had said in chapter 2, verse 17, where the Lord God had said, thou shalt surely die. Complete opposite. The result was that the devil... Raised doubts in Eve's mind concerning the goodness of God. Why is that? Now, he raised doubts concerning the goodness of God because he made the restriction, or the much more harsh than it really was. God had simply said, "God had said, I don't want to be misquoting the Lord God now." Of every tree in the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. The devil's twisted that, saying they can't eat of any... Hath God said, you shall not eat of any tree? So he, the, the the devil is making the commandment of God seem a lot more harsh than it was. And, and by doing that, um, he's raising doubts about the goodness of God. Also, with his lies, he called into question the righteousness of God by saying will not die, when the Lord God had said, will die. Also, by saying that Adam and Eve would be like God's, he undermined God's holiness. Would anyone in here say that? That you would be like God's? That's to bring God down, isn't it? To say something like that. So he was undermining God's holiness. Can you see there was a lot of temptation going on and a lot of undermining of the word of God in that little discussion. Next we come to disobedience to God's commandment and its consequences. The devil succeeded in titillating and stirring up the woman's senses and the result was that she saw That the forbidden tree was good for fruit, that it was pleasant to look at and that it would give her wisdom. Consequently she did the very thing that was forbidden by God. She ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and so too did her husband Adam. At that point in time sin entered the world by one man and with sin came death. What happened next was a feeble attempt by Adam and Eve to cover up their nakedness with fig leaves. And what a clear illustration that is of a failed attempt to cover the shame of what they had done. They even imagined that they could hide from the Lord God. Does anyone here imagine that you can hide from the Lord God? People obviously do. Uh, there's a, a verse in Revelation when, when, the, when at the end of the, at the end of the age, there will be people shouting to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. How foolish to imagine that you can hide from God. But we see that here in Genesis chapter 3. Then those two imagining that they could hide from the Lord God. If it were not so serious, it would almost be laughable. Those two thinking they could hide from God. Next came a blame game with the man blaming the woman in verse 12. Chapter 3 verse 12 there, let's have a look at that. So the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to me, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Furthermore, by saying the woman whom thou gavest me, what does that sound like to you? He's not just blaming the woman there, is he? He's going a step further. He really is crossing the line with that one. He's blaming God. You gave me that woman. And now look what's happened. So Adam really is playing the blame game there. He dared to blame God. He, he he was in effect saying it's all God's fault. Different, perhaps slightly different circumstances, but how many times do we hear people blaming God? I say different because Adam and Eve, it's not as if they... Uh, were claiming to be atheists, but how often do we hear people who say in their heart there is no God waving their fists towards heaven and blaming God for all the things that are wrong in this world. Happens a lot, doesn't it? People blaming God. As for the woman, well, she blamed the serpent. Granted, the serpent tempted her, but at the end of the day She's the one who sinned when she sank her teeth into the forbidden fruit. It may sound trivial to you, the whole thing, the whole thing here, what, at the end of the day, what did they do? They ate from a tree that they were told not to eat from. You may think, well, it's a bit like a, a child being, who's just been told by mum, you stay away from those biscuits, and next thing, of course, what happens? In goes the hand into the cookie jar and a biscuit gets pinched, eaten, is that all it was? Was it as trivial as that? What happened there should never ever happen, it's unthinkable but it did happen, disobedience to our maker almighty God should never happen. The righteous and holy God passed sentence, first of all, upon the serpent, then upon the woman, and last of all, all upon the man. Even so, we see gospel promises from God, who is full of grace and mercy. For example, let's have a look at verse 15 again. This is the Lord God saying, and I will put enmity... Between thee and the woman, enmity that's hostility, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Before we look at that, we're going to come back to that in a minute, but also the Lord God graciously made coats of skin clothed Adam and Eve with those coats of skin. But with regards to verse 15 there, those words speak of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Within that verse, or that verse is a gospel promise. This is what Spurgeon said. This is the first promise to fallen man. It contains the whole gospel and the essence of the covenant of grace it has been in great measure fulfilled. The seed of the woman, even our Lord Jesus, was bruised in his heel and a terrible bruising it was. How terrible will be the final bruising of the serpent's head. This was virtually done when Jesus took away sin, vanquished death and broke the power of Satan. But it awaits a still fuller accomplishment at our lord's second advent and in the day of judgment it's all there in that verse 15 right at the beginning uh, of the, of this the bible in the garden of eden that to, after that first sin after sin had entered the world as for the coats of skin that the lord god provided in verse 21 there unto adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them? That points to the righteousness of God that Christ adorns his redeemed with in the place of fig leaves, fig leaves of self-righteousness. You can imagine useless fig leaves, How no use at all for trying to cover your nakedness. And that's like us, when we spend our time trying to Cover our shame the, and, uh, the, with our own self-righteousness. And then what happens? The Lord Jesus Christ, he covers pe- those who trust in him are covered with his righteousness, the righteousness, righteousness of God. let's conclude this when Adam and Eve dissipate the very clear commandment of the Lord God not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that is when sin entered the world although Eve was the first person to sin that's quite clear isn't it she was she's the one who sunk her teeth into the forbidden fruit first having been deceived by the uh, the serpent Nevertheless, Adam, as her husband, was held responsible for sin coming into the world and death by sin. That's clearly seen in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. By one man, sin came into the world and death by sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. The buck stops with Adam there as the woman's husband. When it comes to us, all these years later, as natural born sinners, I say natural born sinners because we come into this world as sons and daughters of Adam and we come into this world with original sin. Some people, including Christians, seem to think it's a terribly unfair doctrine and I can remember when I was training to be a missionary, there was one of the trainers who who rejected that doctrine completely, original sin. But, I don't know what's so difficult to understand about it. Where do we start with this? From the scriptures, you've got David in Psalm 51 who says, Surely he was uh, conceived in iniquity and in sin did his mother, um, he, he was born in sin and in, in, in sin did his mother conceive him there was an acknowledgement from David that not only was he born in sin, but conceived in sin. And anyone who's being honest and who studies infants, no one really teaches them to do wrong things. It comes natural. We are children of wrath by nature. And when we sin, why do we sin? Because we're sinners. It's not the sinning that makes us sinners. It's our sins that show us to be what we are. Natural born sinners. Each one of us. So we have this thing called original sin that we come into the world as sinners and uh, the original sin that is and actual sin where we do commit sin in our thoughts, our deeds, our words. It's not something that we might once or twice in the morning, maybe sin a couple of times in the afternoon and maybe once in the evening. You can think of it as being continuous in the sense that everything is tainted by sin. And that is not to beat each other over the back over this and, and not to bring you down in a sense, it's just being realistic. And so that the more you realise that, the more you realise just how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ and to be washed in his blood, to be clothed with his righteousness constantly. We, we can't take that cloak off, that cloak of righteousness that comes from Jesus. It's something that we wear constantly and our acceptance before God is in Christ, wearing his clothes of righteousness, garments of salvation and, and, and the cloak of righteousness. So we see those pathetic fig leaves taken off. That's the self-righteousness that um, was put together by Adam and Eve. And in their place we see aprons of skin, made of skin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed that very clear commandment, of God. That set the pattern for all of us here today, everyone who has ever lived. We can consider, in light of what we've been looking at in chapter 3 of Genesis, we can consider how it is for us now. It's helpful for us. I think it's very helpful to look at Genesis chapter 3 and and try and make sense of why we do what we do. When it comes to us, we don't even need a personal visit from the devil. Eve, she had that personal visit from the devil. Up until that point that they sinned, Adam and Eve were innocent. We've never been innocent, none of us here as I've just said, we come into this world as children of wrath, natural born sinners. And that is how we are until such time a person by the grace of God repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and that person goes from being a guilty sinner to a child of God. And justified by the grace of God with the righteousness of Christ. But Adam and Eve, what was their position before God, before they sinned? One of innocence. They weren't washed in the blood of Jesus before they sinned. uh, and uh, They were innocent, something that we could never say about ourselves. We came into this world anything but innocent. When it comes to us, we don't need that personal visit from the devil, as Eve did and as Adam had there. When temptation comes along in its various forms often in various innocent forms we don't need something really nasty there's a lot of nasty stuff on the television nowadays Uh, there's a lot of nasty stuff on the internet we don't even need that nasty stuff very innocent things can tempt us influence us in various ways. And then what happens? We're drawn away by our own lust. We conceive and we give birth to sin with impunity. There's not a day that goes by when we do not sin, having been tempted and drawn away by our own lust. Sad to say, I'm sure that is something that we can all relate to very well if we're being honest with ourselves. I don't, have to, I don't have to make too much of this because this is something that is the experience of everyone. We may see something or whatever it is or hear something and then boom, it all happens and we're drawn away by our own lust, our own evil thoughts and we give birth or we bring forth sin. Once again, Note that God does not make us sin. We can't blame God, although we might like to, as Adam did. We are the guilty ones. In the garden, sin entered the world with a personal visit from the devil. But with us, we sin when we are tempted and we are drawn away by our own lust. The good news is that God is restoring what was lost in Eden and he is doing a whole lot more besides. When the Lord Jesus Christ was wounded and bruised for the transgressions of all who would ever trust in him, he delivered a death blow to the servant's head. We've seen that already in chapter 3 and verse 15. No doubt the provision of coats of skin for Adam and Eve necessitated what? To get those coats of skin, it would have necessitated the killing of an animal. I'm not saying God couldn't have just produced uh, coats of skin from, from nothing but I think there's, it's, it's reasonable to say that an animal was killed there, that God killed an animal to provide coats of skin and shedding of blood. However, forgiveness for sin can only ever come through the provision of the righteousness of Christ, which covers all who are trusting in him and which necessitated the shedding of his blood and his sacrificial death. Not the death of an animal, not the blood of an animal, but the blood of the precious son of God and his death. That precious blood cleanses all who trust in him. And by the grace of God, not just God but the Lord God, all who have shown repentance and have trusted in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ can say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. I think I got that from Isaiah 61 verse 10. Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, and they were prevented from entering in again by an angelic guard and a flaming sword. But you, dear Christian, can praise God with thanksgiving in your heart as you consider your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has gone to prepare a mansion for you, no less. A mansion, not in the Garden of Eden, but in his Father's house in heaven. Do you see what I mean now? It's not just restoration, is it? So much more besides. What that means is that where Jesus now is, having paid the price for your sin, you will also be there where he is. You will behold his glory and his majesty and his beauty. Amen.